This is an ABC podcast. Without having a common definition and a common approach, we're going to be in this crazy world in which we're just out of sync. I go in to see you and it turns out you're not there. And so I'm sitting in an office all alone, a little cube or a little office talking to you virtually. And so why am I there again? We've proven everyone can work from home. So what's the benefit of coming into the office? Hello, I'm Lisa Leong and on This Working Life, welcome to the Clubhouse, hybrid office design to get you back. Before the pandemic, you went to the office to do your work, largely, and there was no ifs, buts and maybes about it. You went to the office because that's where you were expected to be. For most people, the office was where you went to go and do your work. Now you have the choice and that means the office has to work a lot harder to attract you in and the experience that you have in the office is much more important to keep you going back and to keep you connected and engaged with your colleagues. I'm Evodia Alatoru and I'm a design strategist at Hustle. I'm a principal in our Melbourne studio and I lead our design strategy team. Why are people going to the office at the moment? Well, that's a really complex and nuanced question, isn't it? <laughs> and the short answer is that it depends. Many people are going back to the office because they like the energy and they like the buzz and they love being around people and they feel like they get more done and they're more productive. And many people stay at home because they feel like they're more productive at home or because they've got other things like work-life balance or other more life-related activities. It very much depends. It's a very individual decision, isn't it? What makes an office appealing in this day and age? We've learned in the last couple of years that the activities that we do, the tasks that we do in our work can pretty much be done anywhere. And I'm talking about work as in knowledge work, generally office-based employees, right? Not all work obviously works like that. But we've learned that we can do a lot of those activities wherever we want. We've got our laptops, we can set up in our home offices at the kitchen table or at a coffee shop, wherever we like. So it's not about necessarily just those individual activities anymore. It's about the bigger, higher order concept of work, the purpose, the bigger purpose. Why are we doing this? Why do we choose to do this particular type of job? What does it add to us and our identity and our meaning and purpose in life? Therefore, who's our tribe? Who's our gang? Who are the, the like-minded people that we want to do this type of work with to a bigger purpose? And so being with those people is what then attracts us back into the office because we enjoy the physical face-to-face -face aspect of working together. And so what are organisations asking you to change in terms of office design with that in mind? There's, that's a big question. And it's certainly one that all organisations are asking at the moment. So at the very simplistic level, many businesses are looking at the amount of floor area that they have. And they're saying, we don't have it occupied anymore. And when it is occupied, it's very sporadic. There's a few people over there. There's a few people sitting over there. It's really dull and we don't have the vibrancy. So why do we have so much space? Let's condense and do something that really creates a vibrancy and a sense of energy. You know, what the things that we love about the office. So that's the one area where we look at what do we change about the, the workplace design? And then the next level down is then, okay, so we, we're potentially going to take less space, but we're also looking at what are the, the activities that people are going to come in and do. And this is where, where it gets really interesting. It's not about 
coming to the office to sit at a desk and do individual work anymore. It is now about coming to the office to interact and engage with the work, with your clients, with your colleagues, with your industry, with your community in a different way. So the types of spaces that we are going to create are going to be different types of spaces for those activities. What are the main categories of activities then? Do you have any themes there? Yeah, yeah. So we talk about the office as largely about connection, collaboration, co-creation, and often contemplation. So we want to do those all four those layers when we're in the office, but it's the proportion of time that we spend on those things that starts informing the types of spaces for those types of activities. So the office also needs to accommodate the need for some quiet work and the ability to break away and focus. We still have a big range of activities in the office, but the proportion at which we design for might be different. And that's where the interesting nuance comes in, that it's different for every organisation. What are some useful questions that people can ask to determine uh, where they sit in terms of those key activities and how their organisation um, engages in those main themes? We do look at what is the work and what are the tasks or the activities that make up the work. We also ask, how is this changing? If you're working at home, you could be working for anyone really, but you want to be working for an organisation where you identify and associate with their bigger purpose and with their positioning in the world. So the workplace is also a great opportunity for organisations to communicate that, to express that. How does your advice and work with clients differ from before COVID to now? The ideas that work is becoming more autonomous and more remote or distributed and more anywhere, anytime. These ideas have been an evolution for a number of years. What we've seen is that the pandemic has accelerated that. I think the one thing that's probably accelerated beyond what we're necessarily able to catch up with easily is the idea of hybrid Ethan Bernstein is Associate Professor of Business Administration at Harvard Business School. And now when the boss, the organization, the CEO says, no, 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 you all need to come back to the office. Why? Ethan, what are the tensions around people returning to the office? Until the decision makes sense for us to go into the office or work from home or work from anywhere, there's going to be tension because right now it's about your preferences versus mine. And we don't have common sense as the grounding purpose for why we might or might not go into the office. Is the office dead? Well, that I don't think is true. We we, we know from the data we have that the office is good for many things. And we also know from the data we have that working from anywhere is good for many things. So it's about trying to figure out how to categorize our work in such a way that we can coordinate and synchronize around going to the office when it makes sense for us as a team to go into the office and stay or work from home or work from anywhere or work from somewhere else when that makes sense. The challenge, of course, is that we don't have enough data to really know which is which. And even if we do, your choices to go in, Lisa, affect my choices to go in and the value of my going in affects the value of your going in. And so without having a common definition and a common approach, we're going to be in this crazy world in which we're just out of sync. 
I go in to see you and it turns out you're not there. And so I'm sitting in an office all alone, a little cube or a little office talking to you virtually. And so why am I there again? Two days a week, three days a week, that's not going to solve that problem because it doesn't, it doesn't coordinate our attention. I know you love data. What data do you have so far about office design and how that can work best for workers and for organizations, Ethan? I did work on open offices pre-pandemic. And so we found that despite the fact that everybody was trying to use open offices to create more face-to-face collaboration, what open offices really did was make people more likely to use electronic communication as opposed to face-to-face communication. So we know that oftentimes our intent does not translate into what actually happens in physical spaces. People largely have stayed productive without offices. They've lost certain things. They've lost some feelings of affiliation. There is a benefit to having a blended approach, um, to having both in-person and virtual communication because you get different things from each. Quite frankly, a lot of the serendipity that happened back in the day around the quote-unquote water cooler was not really valuable to the organization. When I talk to you about how much I like your blouse and ask you where you bought it, that's not necessarily helping the organization achieve its mission. But the affiliation and the weak ties that we might generate by having other meaningful conversations and trading information that I might have and you might not know that I have until I mention it, those conversations we actually do want to achieve more of, and that's been lacking a little bit um, in the virtual world. And there are other concerns around well-being and, and other aspects of simply having the human experience. Definitely do want to encourage collaboration and maybe cultivating those weak ties. How might we design our offices better, especially given your findings on open plan? 85 plus percent of employees believe that they are performing at least as well virtually as they ever did in person. 85 plus percent of managers don't believe their employees are performing as well virtually as they did in person. Thus the paradox. We, have, we, we, we either are lying to each other or we just don't trust each other. That's not a good use of office space. So we should not be designing office space, in my view, for the sake of supervising, observing. Oftentimes these days it feels like that's why people are saying, well, we need everybody to come back to the office because I need to see what Lisa's doing. So then let's flip it. What should organizations be doing at this point in time? Design the schedule and the space to serve that purpose and make people happy to come in when they know those other individuals are going to be there and when they know the space is going to support them in their needs. And that's going to be different today than it was three years ago because we've all grown a lot since three years ago. Ethan, is it an open question then that an employer or leader or manager would ask their workers, their employees, what would entice you back into the office? What would be helpful? Is that the type of question? I would love to see organizations experiment with doing things differently, with letting the office space be a little bit more fluid, with trying a couple of different approaches, maybe even trying different footprints. Many organizations have actually substantially shrunk their footprint, their real estate footprint, and now are looking at potentially expanding it a little bit back. And in the process of doing that, maybe it doesn't make sense to add a floor right above or below the other floor. Maybe it actually makes sense to add a floor somewhere else. Because much of the research shows that if somebody is a floor below you or a floor above you, 
it doesn't really matter if they're one floor away or 100 kilometers away. Whereas if they're within sight, if they're within a certain distance and sight, that's when collaboration is likely to happen. And so if we take all that into account, we might actually design very different offices, not just within, but what the office means. And that might solve people's issues around commuting. It might solve people's issues around the effect on the climate and the effect on the earth. It might open up a whole bunch of possibilities. We're using PwC as a bit of a case study here. They engaged Hassel, and two different models for office design came out of Avodia's work for PwC. Activities-based working is a model that existed pre-COVID. The basic premise is that people are not assigned a particular space, so I don't have a desk over here that is my desk. It was very popular in Australia. So what we saw the impact of the pandemic would have on that model is what we then called it the turbocharged ABW model. So it was really just driving the idea of sharing space harder. So more people would use the space and you would have potentially more variety of spaces because people weren't coming in in the same volumes as they were before the pandemic, it means the office could potentially be smaller, but you also have a lot of variety and people move between these spaces. So that was the turbocharged activities-based working model. You can do all of the activities that make up your workday in the office, individual work and collaboration and social activities all in the one space. The other model, which was called the clubhouse model, was really more based on the premise of organisations that might have a more remote first approach to work. So people would spend more time working at home or in third spaces. The workplace became the clubhouse. So it's not the place that you would go once or twice or even three times a week necessarily, but it becomes a place that is much more about the social connection and the collaboration with your clients and with each other. It looked and felt very different to the activities-based model in that you would almost not have any desks and very little space for individual work because the premise is that you're coming in to do bigger events. You're doing big collaborations or work that is much more creative and necessitated being together. Can you describe one example of a clubhouse that has been designed? We did do some work with an organisation who's into publishing. Before COVID, they had a very traditional workplace. Everyone had a desk. The success of working from home was absolutely tremendous for this business. And they made a very, very bold, very brave decision at the time that they were going to create a clubhouse workplace. What that means is that the decision was made that people are going to work at home and When you do come into the office, you're coming in to connect with your colleagues or connect with your clients. And the space was set up with much more of a hospitality mindset. And I think this is probably the common theme across workplace generally is the idea that the space is there as a vehicle to really host and to enable connection. And it's activated. It's not dead space. You don't go and use it. It's actually, it's set up and it's operationally run in such a way that you're creating an experience. And so the clubhouse model is the the most progressive version of that. This organization, this publishing organization, actually, they shrunk their footprint by 75%. There was quite tremendous how little space they took, but they were very confident that 
with a new way of working, the office was going to add as much value, if not more value than before, because the decision to come into the office and the activities that people undertake when they are very deliberate and curated around the needs of the individual. Do you have to choose between the models, whether it be activity-based or clubhouse? As with most things, there's a bit of a spectrum. It's not an off-the-shelf box solution that you buy when you buy one or the other. I think workplace strategy and design is so interesting at this point in time because it's, it's not a single solution. You're actually constantly looking at how you're balancing all the different needs. So when we did this piece of work, the PwC, we were quite deliberate in creating very distinct definitions of turbocharged ABW and clubhouse. But in reality, what we're actually seeing now, you know, fast forward a year and a half and we've delivered some more workplaces is that there is much more of a blend. PwC has in itself gone full throttle on redesigning its offices. It's taking baby steps. But its workplaces leader, Peter Wheatley, says you can do a lot quite easily without investing too much. We know that hybrid is here to stay now. And what that means for our space is there's a different demand on how it's being used. But rather than doing wholesale changes, we've taken a fairly considered approach. Can you explain what you mean by different? We've got a large client lounge area that was very popular uh, pre-COVID, but the client use of that now is quite different. So there is no longer that demand. So we've converted that particular lounge area into a cafe for our staff. And what that does is provides a really great, vibrant atmosphere in the office for people coming in to connect. We used to do a lot of the larger client events and and functions, and we haven't seen that return. In addition to the conversion uh, of that space into a cafe for staff, what collaboration space changes have you made? There was more informal spaces that we've now adapted to people work zones. And what that specifically does is provide a space for teams to come and connect and purposefully come into the office to work together as a team. We've got all our normal people workspace, but teams now know this particular area has recently changed. It's no longer that sole client focus. So they can come in as a team and work in there for a week or a month or so. Can you describe a work zone? We will have areas that might be more uh, suitable or attracted to introverts, but then we've got open, more collaborative spaces where extroverts will be more comfortable in using. I like to define the spaces as social productivity zones and focus productivity zones. Social productivity zone, can you describe what that would be like? Your your breakout areas where you do go get your morning tea and so forth, but you can sit down and work with others in that particular space. And then there's huddle zones where it might be a um, like a circular lounge where you can sit down informally, relaxed, and three or four people might do a, a brainstorming session. And then you've got other areas where it might be high benches with monitors and keyboards or sometimes without. Okay, what is an example of a focused productivity zone? I don't want to talk to anyone or I don't want to disrupt anyone. 
One thing that we have found as people are returning to the office is you might have an office that's only 50% full or 60% full. However, all the meeting rooms are full, okay? And that's because over the last couple of years, everyone has joined their one-on-one calls or their meetings in the privacy of their own home. And now that they're in the office, they find themselves wanting to go into a private zone to have that one-on-one call. What that means is you'll have one person sitting in a meeting room that's designed for six to eight people. So we have provided a range of phone booths and they're literally quite like a a Superman phone booth that are scattered throughout our floor. And that allows people to, to go in there with the laptop or just with their mobile and they will use that phone booth for about half an hour or an hour to join a team meeting or just those one on one calls. Some of us will be working from the office, some of us will be working from home. Uh, If each of us are on our own laptops, what is the implication of that for office design and and what are you doing at PwC? Yeah, that's a real challenge that we have and a lot of my colleagues across the industry have. And it's really important from a team perspective that you have that level of communication of who's going to be in the office, who's together and try and come together so that you're efficiently using using that space and you're connecting together rather than everyone being on their own screen. And I know personally, if I've got a day full of meetings with my team who are across the country and I'm going to spend a lot of time on um, Teams calls, then it's better for me to be working from home rather than going into the office. Is PwC actually trying to get people back to its offices more? PwC is trying to provide opportunities to make it worthwhile coming back into the office. What should organisations be doing at this point in time in relation to office design? Firms and organisations are looking ahead to when their lease expires. You need to involve your people in planning for the future. And so if you've got a lease expiry that's coming up, now is the perfect time to start with a blank canvas as well as studies on how people are using that space. Because I might ask you, Lisa, how do you like to work? And you give me an answer. But if we did an actual study of you, we might find that you actually work quite differently to the way you think you work. What are the challenges for organisations? It is difficult to plan for designs and your offices for 10 years in the future when that new normal is still playing out. Avodia from Hassel says lots of clients are redesigning offices assuming hybrid is here to stay. The conversation at the moment is that there's no going back. And with the pandemic, the one thing that's been really good is it's strengthened those connections across geographies, right? And we don't want to give that up. We also don't want to have to fly all over the world to maintain those connections. And so what should organisations be doing at this point in time? Organisations are all dealing with a world that has turned upside down and inside out. Oh, you know, we, we hear the word uncertainty so often. So organisations are trying to respond to that. We're, you know, we're in this whirlwind of... Is there going to be a recession? Is inflation going to keep going up? Interest rate, you know, there's this constant concern. It's a great opportunity to take stock of what works within a business, what works within a work process, 
what can be changed and adapted. There's probably for most organisations quite a lot of legacy that's still around that can just be phased out and, you know, it can help organisations to be more responsive and more more agile. And this is a fantastic opportunity because the whole workplace design, the idea, the notion of what a workplace is, has been turned on its head. So it's a great opportunity to genuinely do things differently. Thanks so much, Avodia. You're welcome. <laughs> that was fabulous. <laughs> That's Avodia Alatero. We also heard from Ethan Bernstein and Peter Wheatley. We made this episode on the lands of the Gadigal and Wiradjuri people. This Work in Life is produced by Sarah Allerley. She definitely goes to the office for connection and stays home for her deep, focused work. Me, I vote for the clubhouse. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next time, love your work. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.